Are your clients asking about the employee retention credit, R&D tax credits, cost segregation, energy credits or deductions, or the work opportunity credit? Do you lack answers or expertise in your firm to serve these specialty tax incentives? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, TriMerit, later in the episode. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. This is Oh My Fraud. Only two things are certain, death and taxes. This is a true crime podcast where we spend a lot less time on death and a whole lot more time on taxes. I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. So, Caleb, you and I know each other pretty well. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, I don't know a whole lot about your upbringing, about your your life before you came became uh, accounting famous. Because, like, right. I know I know you were a big four firm. Because, and you were a uh, were you were you PwC or KPMG? KPMG. Mm-hmm. Which okay. I'm sure I'm and sure if there's any like high level KPMG people listening, they'll figure out a way to, you know. To disclaim that in some way. Right. To distance himself from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that I was at KPMG. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Big firm. And, big firm. And and you were in New York and you hated it. And mm-hmm. you started a blog where you were pissing on accounting, the accounting profession. You were airing the accounting <laughs> profession's dirty laundry. And the blog got big and that's how you got accounting famous. Uh, pretty is that a pretty accurate summary? I mean it's close enough. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So, so then, but, but going back, your origin story, where yeah. did you grow up? I grew up in a small town in the middle of Nebraska. Do you know where Nebraska is? Greg? The, okay. I do. I do know where Nebraska is. Okay. It's just on the other side of Colorado from me in Utah. I've been there once. Oh, to, okay. I think Lincoln. You bet. Nebraska. Sure. Capital. Uh, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm actually, uh, I, I, I spoke at a conference and I became an admiral in the uh, in the Nebraska Navy, is what happened there, which was supposed to be hilarious. But I still don't know if I get it. Wait, but, uh, was but yeah. the joke? Wait, did you just make the joke, or was it the joke at the time? No, they they presented me with a very official looking document that said that I was I be, I'm now officially an admiral in the Nebraskan State Navy, and I think the joke is that it's landlocked, so there's no Navy oh. in Nebraska. Yep. Hilarious. I mean, that's Hilarious. where you got your sense of humor, clearly, was from the uh, state, <laughs> just from the dad jokes that that just ferment in Nebraska. Right. Well, you know, I, yeah, it takes a while for the good stuff to come in from the coast, you know? Like, exactly. like right. music, music, to, jokes... It takes decades for them to get yep. to the middle of the country. Yeah. Well, and so, I mean, I just, I think living there sounds awful. Awfully interesting. Uh, so what What was the name of the town that you lived in? And did it consistently smell like cow shit? Uh, like, because I was in a city in eastern Washington mm-hmm. uh, in high school that smelled like cow shit so bad that you never got accustomed to it. Like you never went nose blind. It was always a horrible, horrible smell. How much on a scale of one to to that level of horrid? How how, how bad was your city? Uh, on a scale oh, on a scale of one to horrid. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was probably like a one. I never, like, I don't. Oh. It, uh, it, yeah, I don't. Oh. I mean, there was like, there'd be days, like if the wind was, like if the wind changed suddenly or something, then maybe you'd be like, oh, yeah. that's, something's happening. Or like, um, you know, there's this, there's this thing called, I think, inversion in weather where the cold air gets trapped, uh-huh. the hot yeah. air traps the cold air. And like that keeps yeah. um, like the smell of manure from escaping into the, like the air. Yep. Like occasionally okay. that okay. would happen. That happens here in Denver. I yeah. Mean, it's, it's so it can happen anywhere. But in any case, my, my, my hometown did, did not have the enduring manure thing going on. No. Okay. Yeah. Any, 
Gotcha. We we have we have bad inversions here in Utah, but yeah. what, it traps in the smells of Diet Coke and crumble cookies. So that's it's different than Nebraska and I guess Colorado. But but yeah. so what what was the name of the town? Yeah, sure. The name of the town uh, of my hometown is Ord. <laughs> Ord. Face, do I need to repeat it? Your face says I need to repeat it. Yeah, Ord. No, I, I got it. Or okay, Ord. Yeah. It's, yeah, Ord. It's named after a uh, Edward Ord, who was a Union general in the Civil War. And actually, more more fun facts. You can see a bust of General Ord at Grant's tomb in New York City. Nice, Caleb. So, t- so tell me more about what what your experience was growing up in Ord, Nebraska. Yeah, so it was pretty typical small town USA. Uh, you know, lots of farming and ranching around the town. Sports were big, you know, football especially, and abstinence only. Uh, abstinence only. Sex education, you know, pretty pretty typical. Right. So no no condoms on bananas for you in no Ord, sir. Nebraska. It was just keep that banana in your trousers. Uh, how'd that how'd that work out for you? How how would you uh, how would you rate your your growing up time? Well, since I didn't grow up on a farm or a ranch it kind of made me a second class citizen in a way okay and and i was average to below average at sports so that didn't help me and then for the most part girls weren't interested in me so the abstinence only sex ed was kind of overkill okay so i so i'm i'm getting a pretty clear picture now you uh you couldn't shear sheep you couldn't throw a spiral (laughs) And you weren't having any sex, so it, to me that sounds like like the quintessential origin story for someone who eventually became accounting famous. Uh, so yeah, so it's it's making sense to me now. But uh, but but I I am I mean I guess it is a little surprising that you don't have like more farm in you. Oh, I mean, were you getting a farm kid vibe off of me? I, not not so not so much that, but just. Like I've been to enough of those, uh, to the like to those real rural communities, uh, yeah. where it's like that. Se- I mean, what did did your did your dad like own the general store? Did you or the <laughs> saloon or the? Uh, well, I guess it wouldn't have been the brothel because the abstinence only sex education. But like, what 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 did you do if you didn't do farming and ranching in a little tiny town like that? Yeah, like my my parents were working class folks, but they were not, yeah they were but they were not farm folks. So like my dad was a telecom worker. So oh, okay, back in those days, it was like he hooked up your phones, and like if phones <laughs> went down, like you know he would fix them, or like he would he would climb up the phone poles, and like in these in like in the in in our town, and then the other rural towns that were kind of within I don't know thirty ish miles. So so yeah, my dad. Uh, but these days, you know, it's internet, of course. So right. that's what he did. And then my mom was just like, she had like different secretary jobs. Like she didn't, she okay. actually didn't work. She didn't actually work and she didn't go back to work until I was like nine or 10. Okay. Uh, she was home with us, uh, while we were pretty young, but then she went, she like worked in the treasurer's office, uh, the county treasurer's office for a while. And then she worked in the school system. Like she worked in the superintendent's office and so stuff like that. And so, right. but yeah, no, no, no farming, but I obviously had friends who grew up on farms and yeah. and stuff. Like so that. You, you had to have like farming adjacent experiences, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, you, you did farm shit at some point, right? Or did I you mean, completely avoid it just to make sure that you kept your position as a second class citizen in Ord, Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said, I had plenty of friends who, who grew up on farms, grew up on ranches. And so I would, I would, you know, go out there and have these occasionally, I would have these awkward agricultural experiences. Um, I remember, I remember going to a branding for example. Okay. A, like where they branded cows or they branded each other. Cause I'm also <laughs> thinking these are, these are like farm kids, and it could be either way. It could go. It could go. Wha- it could go bad. Right. Yeah. I've seen. No, they were. I've, they were. Brand, they were branding cattle. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. But how? What was? What was branding cattle like? Uh, mostly, it smelled. You know, burning cattle hair and flesh. Okay. Uh, lots of lots of poop, obviously. Okay. Um, but like you know, r- real life cowboys castrating the male calves. 
you know, in fact, like um, a good friend of mine that I grew up with, his dad, we used to joke, some of us, that his dad was like, he was the Marlboro Man, you know, from the old ads. Oh, really? Yeah. The lone, like he, the lone cowboy riding his horse through the cattle field, uh, chain smoking and developing emphysema. I mean, more or less, he, but he had the hat and he just okay. was like, he was, you know, just... He was always, I I saw him on a horse. Like, I don't think I ever not saw him on a horse. (laughs) And so, and so, but the sweetest guy though, like he just a sweet man and, but like a real deal cow cowboy, like smoked, but he didn't smoke Marlboros. He smoked, um, uh, non-filter camels. So Uh, he was, he was extra hardcore. Right. To really, to really put the accelerator on that emphysema. Um, yeah. Nice. Well, uh, so today's case, the reason we're going there is that today's case is all about farming and ranching. There's no Marlboro man in our story, uh, but we do have someone who, instead of burning cigarettes, burned his family's generational wealth uh, in the city of Pasco, Washington. There was a farmer... In Eastern Washington, his name was Cody Allen Easterday. Pretty weird name. Uh, reminds me, you've seen Dumb and Dumber, right, Caleb? I I absolutely have, yes. And it, so uh, Jim Carrey's character is Lloyd Christmas, but this guy's name is Cody Easterday, which seems like that would be a good a good duo, maybe. Of sure. Weird, of weird of, names. Yeah, if you if you have. If you if you have surnames that are Christian holidays or something, right? I don't know. Sure, right? Yeah. And Why then not? There's like Harry Halloween. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> regardless, Cody Easterday he owned a ranch that was uh, had a very creative name called Easterday Ranches, and there was an associated farm called Easterday Farms, uh, and and these were established. The, the farm was established first. It was established back in 1958 by a fellow named Irvin Easterday who was Cody's grandfather. And Easter Day Farms, the farm part, they were, this is big, you know, Eastern Washington, Eastern Oregon, Idaho. We're talking onions and potatoes is was their main staple crop that they had there. You know, you know Eastern Washington, do you know Eastern Washington's famous for onions? Uh, I, I had no, no idea. That yeah, Eastern there's, Wash- a, I thought it was mostly, fam- I thought it was well known for meth. That's what okay. I thought it was well known. Well, for. that's that's how you get the energy to to raise just some of the best sweet onions that you're ever going to taste. I mean, if you still have the sense of taste after all the meth that you've consumed. Right. Uh, but yeah, Walla Walla sweet onions. You've ever heard of those? Nope. Just me nope. because I grew up there. Awesome. Um, but Easter Day ranches, Easter Day farms. So they also they they did some corn, some wheat as well. Yawn. Who cares? Uh, Easter Day. The, the, the family was, and Cody, because he, he was born into all this, it was a very rich, very successful farming family. As a matter of fact, they were like well-known, well-established as like the one of the biggest farmers and ranchers in that part of the country. Mm. Uh, they Here's, uh, Caleb, here's how big their ranches were. They supplied- How big? How big, <laughs> Greg? I'm glad you asked. They supplied Tyson Foods with 2% of their beef, which you might go 2%. That's not a lot, but that's a fuck ton of beef. Uh, because <laughs> Tyson, he, Tyson's cranks out, they, they, they crank out some beef. Those, yeah, those well, Tyson well and, a lot, and a lot of people don't know this. The, the meat industry in the United States, 73% of all the meat that we consume is produced by four companies. Yep. So there's, there's, it's, I don't know what it is, Caleb, but every industry seems like it has a big four. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the meat industry is just like that. And Tyson Foods is one of the big four. So the fact that they pr- provided 2% of the beef to Tyson food, that's, that's just tons of, here's, here's, they have 22,000 acres of farmland. They had wow. 150 employees. They had annual revenues of a quarter of a billion dollars a year. $250 million was their revenues, not their profits. Mm-hmm. That was their revenues every year. So it was a big operation, even to the point where these guys had a private plane and a hangar. They they sponsored – okay, again, I'm going to 
show just my, you know, the fact that my world just is what I've experienced. But have you ever heard of the Pendleton Roundup, the the rodeo, the Pendleton Roundup? Absolutely never heard of it. Nice. So the Pendleton Roundup is a gigantic rodeo in eastern Oregon. I know about it because my dad lived in Pendleton, Oregon for, gosh, probably 10 or 15 years. And so, and that was... Oh, wow. Wow. Did you have to go to the Pendleton Roundup? I I didn't have to go. He never took me. uh, Oh. But... It was one of those things, even even as kind of more of a, well, not a city kid. I was a suburb kid. But, like, the, everybody in eastern Oregon and eastern Washington, they were all about the Pendleton Roundup. And it was sort of like, that actually sounds like it's probably pretty awesome. So these, so the Easter Days, they were one of the major sponsors of the Pendleton Roundup. That's how big they were. They were, they were a big fucking deal in God ranching damn. and farming. Yes, amazing. All right, so here's how cattle ranching works, more or less. It's not going to be perfect, but we're going to try to cover it, right? Right, this is an outsider's perspective. Right. You buy some calves. Okay. Some baby cows, right? Yeah. You raise those baby calves, those ca- those those baby cows, calves, into cows. Okay. And then- so the, Wait, so the baby cows become adult cows? What? Yeah. It's. I mean, it's just how nature works, Greg. Uh, wild. And then you butcher the cows, but it's maybe not quite so simple. All right. And there are three main types of cattle ranchers. Okay. The first Uh type is called a cow calf operation. And you know what these folks do, Greg? Uh, I I would assume they have cows and calves. Right. They make the baby cows. Yeah. They make, they make the baby cows. Gotcha. And after the calves are weaned, they head off to the second type of ranch, which is called a backgrounder operation. Okay. Where the cows go through grow- background checks and get security <laughs> clearance. Yeah, and then drug tested and you know, the the uh, usual. But no, this is where they <laughs> and this they is can, where they grow up. They can keep uh, top secret files from the Pentagon on their feedlot. <laughs> yes. Anyway, this is where the so these backgrounder operations. This is where the cows grow up. Okay, Easter Day Ranches was the third type of ranch, which is called a finishing operation, uh, also known as a like commonly known as a feedlot. Okay, so that's a feedlot. I I said feedlot prematurely. This is a this is actually a feedlot. Yeah, and so I so there were there were multiple feedlots around Ord where I grew up. I remember. (laughs) Specifically. Okay. But my understanding is that there were all types of operations. There are all types of operations around my hometown. So okay. for what it's worth. For what it's worth. Right. Well, anyway. and and I was, I mean, obviously I was playing a little dumb for you to, to, exp- to go through that explaining. One of the other interesting things that I learned about these three types of cattle ranchers, there's mm. very little vertical integration. So like you, right. you, you don't have... Because, it, it, again, to a dummy who's on the outside, I'd go, yeah, why don't you just do all that? But apparently, and I, I'm not sure why there's not more vertical integration, but there's not. Mm-hmm. You specialize in one of those types of operations, and that's kind of what you do. Yeah, I think you, you you could, you know, again, I'm, again, not someone who is can't farm or ranch a lick. <laughs> I'm only speculating here. Right. But something tells me that it would be... to to do that at scale when you think about like there's literally thousands millions of cattle in a state like nebraska or even like the easter days you said i don't remember i don't think you mentioned how many head of cattle they had but like they have hundreds certainly hundreds of thousands yeah right like there's more cows in nebraska there's more cows than people right and so (laughs) and again it doesn't seem that's not a shocking fact to me for some reason like yeah okay of course that's yeah but to to This episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by Trimerit. 
It seems like every week a new questionable ERC mill pops up offering small businesses a way to get $26,000 from the government for each one of their employees. We've all seen Twitter ads, Facebook ads, ads in podcasts, ads on Instagram, ads on TV shows, and I even personally know a guy here in Utah who's been charged with fraud for false ERC claims totaling $11 million. These questionable ERC mills are coming hard after your clients. If they haven't reached them already, they will soon. And based on the stories I've been hearing from accountants, the IRS will be reaching out to them soon too. This is why when it comes to ERC, it's important to have the right people, the right process, and the right partner. Introducing TriMerit. TriMerit is a team of CPAs, engineers, and attorneys that function as an extension of your tax advisory team. They can help your clients with ERC, R&D tax credits, cost segregation, energy credits or deductions, and the work opportunity credit. And working with them is as easy as one, two, three. One, they offer a no-cost feasibility analysis. Two, they document all tax incentive studies to ensure that your clients meet all requirements. And three, they offer audit representation to ensure your clients aren't left hanging if audited by the IRS. To learn more about adding TriMerit to your team, head over to ohmyfraud.promo slash TriMerit. That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash T-R-I-M-E-R-I-T. To to address your point, I think to vertically integrate those three steps in the supply chain by Uh one operation would be incredible. I think that'd be incredibly difficult to do. Okay. Like, do you think about the land you would need to think about like the different operation like just to run one of those businesses how complicated that would be but then to do all three along the supply chain yeah i just don't think i don't think it would it would be really difficult to operate it yeah it also it also seems like it'd be really difficult to operate a cow calf operation where all they do is make baby cows in a state that has abstinence only sex education i it's a it's a it's a fine point that you're making yeah. So yeah. anyway, so these finishing operations, they buy the cattle and they fatten them up for the last four to six months before the steers and heifers are shipped off to the slaughterhouse uh, where they get the no country for old men treatment. Right. Because oh, that little that little machine he used, that was that that was to put a like a, a spike into the brain of a cow. Right, it's not even it's not even a spike. It's just a little pin. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. But you can still blow out a doorknob and uh, with a with one of those. And, and apparently, and apparently, human brains also. Yeah, I've I've learned more about ranching from No Country for, for Old Men. Yeah, than you're learning anything else, you're, really. You're learning about a critical part of the process, right? There. Yeah, exactly. Eesh. Anyway, yeah. Uh, oh, and for the city folk. A steer is a male cow, or it's 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 not really a cow because a cow is a female, but a steer is a male bovine that has been castrated, <laughs> right? It will not become a bull, therefore. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so right? steer. Oh, okay, I get you. Yep. Because bull, bulls, bulls are what you need on them cow calf operations. You got it, my friend. Okay. And a heifer, again, for the city folk, a heifer is a cow that has not born a calf. Okay, gotcha. We lady, good? lady bovine uh, that hasn't that has no babies. Correctamundo. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Interesting. Fun fun fact. Yeah. So that's kind of like the the nuts and bolts of a cattle operation. But besides raising cattle, some big ranchers are also they're very sophisticated businesses. Which is I I would say that if you haven't been around ranches or haven't thought much about it you would kind of think oh you have cows and they get slaughtered you probably think of it as being very simple but it's actually a very sophisticated business and one of the reasons or one of the things that make it a very sophisticated business is commodity the commodity markets right yeah and yeah, yeah easter day had put a lot of money into finishing the cattle and its profitability was kind of at the mercy of these markets right 
If right. Beef, if beef prices were too high, he would earn a nice profit. But if beef prices were too low, he could lose money. The farm would lose money or the ranch would lose money. And for operations of their size, they can hedge their bets through commodity markets. Yeah, exactly. And and it is interesting to think about like literal commodities where like like beef is beef is beef. I mean, there's different cuts, yep. there's different grades, uh, but... It, but basically, if you produce a certain grade of beef, that's that's the, nobody's like, oh, is this is this Easter Day beef? No, right. no one no one cares at that point. You're not gonna. You, there, there's very you can't. I mean, the, the definition of a commodity market is you can't differentiate. So right. it's not like you can say, you know, you can build your brand as Easter Day Farms, and people are gonna want your beef more. No, they're just gonna go, what grade is it? Cool. Here's how much it's. It, that's selling for right now. Here's your money. Thanks for the beef. And right, that's, and you can and you can apply that as you as you mentioned. You can apply that across all kinds of commodities, right? Like gold yeah. is gold, corn right. is corn is corn. Yeah, orange yep. oranges are oranges. Right, right, exactly. So so uh, so so the risk that that the ranchers have uh, is is mitigated through the the commodities so through the through buying and selling of commodities derivatives is what it is so cattle ranchers like Cody Easterday and the Easterday family they would go to the Chicago Mer Mercantile Exchange which is if you're not familiar with that it is it's kind of I mean Caleb you you were saying it's mm -hmm. it's kind of like the New York Stock Exchange but for commodities contracts if is I'm that, not mis yeah if I mean, I'm not mistaken <laughs> I mean, I suppose, but it is, if I understand it, if I, if I, if I understand it correctly, the Chicago, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange is the largest commodity exchange in the world. Right. And yeah. to the point where, and again, I'm not, I'm not big on commodities trading and commodity derivatives uh, and things like that, but I know of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. I don't know right. of any other commodity exchange at all if if, if well there's certainly a, there's there's multiple exchanges but the cme which is yeah they don't i don't they don't have an that's ord, the that's the there's big there's no one. ord mercantile exchange certainly not so on, on at the chicago mercantile exchange or the cme if you're if you're its friend uh, you can call it that uh you can trade futures contracts and that was a big thing for the easter days and so, and, and you can trade future contracts on anything. You can trade them on cattle, on hogs, on corn, on wheat, on oranges, uh, it, several different kinds of oil, probably including salad oil. Uh, you can buy them on natural gas, copper, nickel, gold, silver, basically anything that, that would count as a commodity. They've got futures contracts for those that you can purchase through the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Um, and a futures contract which, and again, Caleb, I mean, do, do you remember yeah. like in school, do you remember learning about accounting for derivative instruments? Oh my God. No, it, it was okay. not. Yeah. I do, I actually don't. I, if I, it would have, I, okay. I don't even know which class it would have been. I would have learned All about right. accounting for derivatives, mm -hmm. but I know if I remember correctly, it was a very controversial thing around that time. Like they were just starting to like catch up. The FASB yeah. was probably just starting to catch up to like, oh, this is, we actually have to account for these and this is how we do it. Right. So, so a futures contract, and this is, this is what a few, if you don't remember, here's what a futures contract is. It's where someone is contractually obligated to buy beef from you at a certain point at a certain date in the future. So, so that, that's one side of the future. One side of the future contract, they're, co they're, they're contractually obligated to buy a certain amount of beef from you at a certain price. Mm -hmm. And so, and so if you're on the other side of that, you have to sell the beef at that price at that future date. Um, and so the the way that Easter Day, and, and again, this isn't this is like in a very, what would you say, like sanitized, pure, almost like the abstract version of of futures, uh, and we'll get into how they actually work in the real world. But the idea was that uh, that Easter Day could get into one of these future contracts where someone is saying, okay, in six months, I'm going to pay you a buck thirty per pound for your for your for your cattle 
Mm-hmm. And and he goes, okay, that's great because it only cost me a buck twenty five. You know, based on my experience and my expertise as a rancher, I believe that I can raise these cattle for a buck twenty five a pound. So if you're going to guarantee me that you'll buy them for a buck thirty a pound in six months, then I know that I can make a five cent per pound profit. Which, if you're talking like we were saying, hundreds of thousands of cattle, you're making a good profit on that. And uh, and and so the the risk he would he'd be mitigating his risk because he'd basically reduce his risk to can he keep his costs where he think he can keep his costs he doesn't have to worry about market fluctuations so he's he's basically taken off one whole side and probably the most the the most volatile side of the risk for him now the the thing that he the the downside for him again because commodities can be so volatile is if he says okay you promised to pay me a buck thirty for this per pound for, for my for my cattle, and then six months later, cattle selling for a buck fifty a pound. He goes, "Oh shit, I have to sell it for a buck thirty a pound. I could have made so much more money." But yep. he's mitigated his risk, and that's that's the that's where he has to land. Does that kind of make sense? It does, and I mean, I think that the thing to remember is to to kind of keep it as simple as possible is, as you point out sometimes the prices of commodities can be volatile. And so this is just a way for people that are in these businesses, whether it's agriculture or whether it's precious yeah. metals or whether it's uh, natural resources, it's just a way for those businesses to mitigate risk and, right. and, and protect themselves from big swings in prices. Right. And if, if, you're, if you're a bit like, let's say you're a big steakhouse, like your, you know, Texas Roadhouse, and <laughs> you're, you, you, I mean, again, and this again, this is in the, this is in the like, the way that I think in my mind, this is why futures contracts were originally created. Because if you're if you're a rancher, you like the futures contract because you go, okay, I got a guaranteed price that I can sell this beef for, so I'm not going to get screwed on the price. But if you're on the other side and you need beef for your company, like again, like a Texas Roadhouse, you're going to say, oh, if I can lock in a price for this meat at a buck thirty a pound, then if the price goes crazy, like to a buck fifty, I can I don't have to worry about that. I know that I'm getting my beef at a price that I can still turn around and, you know grill it up and sell it to hungry people and still make a profit on my end too. So this episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by LiveFlow. Did you hear the news? LiveFlow just launched a new consolidation product. LiveFlow power user Beth Melcher of MoneyFit said that LiveFlow's consolidation is saving her team 15 to 20 minutes per client every week and eliminates the use of formulas. LiveFlow's automated multi-entity consolidation is simple to use. You can easily map multiple unmatching charts of accounts from multiple QuickBooks online companies into one standardized report. And once it's set up, LiveFlow works its magic, updating the consolidations automatically in real time, so you can focus on analysis using instantly updated data across entities. LiveFlow can even consolidate financials that are in different currencies, and the possibilities don't stop there. LiveFlow empowers you with flexible, powerful reporting tools to create customized dashboards that meet your specific needs. Build executive presentations, cash flow forecasts, and more with just a few clicks. Stop grueling over manual consolidation reports and to get 25% off your first three months, be one of the first 10 listeners to head over to ohmyfraud.promo slash LiveFlow. That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. That's again. That's that's how this stuff started. But you really get into it, this. This quickly becomes speculation. Where oh. you've got people who are like, "Oh, I can buy a futures contract at a buck thirty a pound, and I got some inside information, and or you know, I have a hunch that beef's going to be worth way more than that. So I'm going to buy a bunch. I'm going to be able to buy a bunch of beef." At a buck thirty, and turn around and sell it immediately for a buck fifty a pound, or so, that that kind of thing. So it's it's nobody, it's somebody who doesn't have anything to do with farming or ranching, and they're just going, oh, I think I I think I can make a buck doing this, even though it's not. I don't consume the beef, I don't make, I don't raise the beef. I'm just gonna go in and try to try to work it like you would the stock exchange. 
So, so you can have someone like Cody Easterday who has a very legitimate reason for hedging his his operations using mm-hmm. these kind of derivative instruments uh, like futures. But then it, you can also go, you can slip directly into that to to turning the the Chicago Mercantile Exchange into a very slow, very boring, very high stakes slot machine. And that's and that's a and even with that, the rancher can get on either side of the table at that point, yep. where they can they can say, okay, I'm even if they've got cattle that they just looking at their business, they're in the business of of selling their finished cattle, but they could get on the other side of that and say, oh no, I'm actually going to try to buy some cattle, and that's that's what uh, yeah. So so you can like I said, it, it basically can quickly turn into gambling instead of a legitimate business tool the, right yeah absolutely so you can you can play that where you can and even you can it, the way this works if you really think through it you can effectively like short the cattle commodities market where you where you're going to you're assuming the price is going to drop and mm-hmm. so you can get on the side of it where you're where you're betting for the price to drop, and you'll you'll make a profit uh, that way. Uh, so so you can really you can really get into this uh, either way. And um, and Co- Cody Easterday, what we find out as as we've read through who he was and kind of how he was known around the community is the guy the guy hustled. He was uh, he was all he was known for always trying to make a deal, always trying to get an edge, always trying to have a new angle on doing his business. Um, was that was that the impression that you got from the the readings that we did, Caleb? Yeah, very much so. I mean, the their operation was at the scale and scope where that other businesses in the area were highly dependent on them for their own business. Yeah, and they employed they employed a good number of folks. And they had a lot of vendor relationships, and and so yeah, he was very much he was very much um, uh, I guess you you know a, a, a wheeler dealer type yeah and 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 so that kind of and that kind of slipped over into kind of the high level operation operational stuff into right. into the futures trading right and I and again I think he's gonna think that he has expertise in that market especially in you know in the cattle's future kind of thing because he is an expert. That's what he That's does. That's what they do all day long. That's yeah. what they do all day long. So, yep. so, uh, and, and I think, I mean, in my mind too, Caleb, tell me if, you, if this, if, if this is where your brain went too, but I go, I don't think that a rancher really has a lot of need for a private jet and a hangar. Um, and if you are a rancher with a private jet, you're a wheeler dealer rancher. I mean, it seems like kind of an extravagant expense for a yeah. For a so, so here's where things start going uh, sideways with Cody Easterday and Easterday Farms and Easterday Ranches is that he definitely went from using these futures contracts as a legitimate business tool to to where he was using them to gamble to go okay. I can actually make money above and beyond just my normal operations if I can hit these futures contracts right. And he was horrible. <laughs> he sucked ass at gambling with futures contracts because what we see is over a 10-year period, uh, Cody Easterday incurred a- about $200 million in losses just on the Chicago Mercantile Chain. He... he lost did you hear that 200 million dollars mm-hmm. he basically in 10 years he lost almost the equivalent of one year's revenue uh top line revenue in doing these futures contract he he was so shitty this stuff what because it's not good <laughs> no in in one of the in one of the accounts that i read uh he in between 2011 and 2018 uh so that's eight years 
he had seven losing years where oh. he lost between six million and fifty-eight million dollars in a year for those seven. And and the one winning year was twenty fifteen, and he he was up. He was in the black only seven million dollars. So he like lost and lost and lost. And then he was like, oh hey, I am my my luck's turning around in twenty fifteen. And then immediately the next year he starts losing just shit tons of money again. So he 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 owed. The Chicago Mercantile Exchange over two hundred million dollars from his losses that he'd have o- over the years, to the point where the Chicago Mercantile Exchange they they would need to see like financial statements to go because oh, if you took a position, it, it's one of those things where it's like if you you know it's like it's like if you're if my son comes up to me and says, "Hey, Dad, I'll bet you a thousand dollars that the Knicks are going to win tonight." And then it's like, dude, you don't have, I know how much money you have. You have $20. So that's not a good, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, but, it, just, but if I win, you'll give it to me, give me the money. Right, and right, if I exactly. lose, it's fine. If, if, if I lose, I guess you'll just take it on my allowance for, you know, 80 years. I, I don't know. So, uh, but so the same thing with Chicago Mercantile Exchange. If you're making these big bets on these future contracts, they need to know that you've, that you can back that shit yeah, up. They, that you're good for it. Yeah. So you have to submit your your financial statements. You have to to, to that shows like your inventory, your 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 purchases, your sales, all this kind of stuff to go. Okay, this this person can sustain the kind of losses that he could be susceptible to by entering into these futures contracts. And Cody Easterday was so shitty at this stuff <laughs> that he start he got to the point. Where the only way, and 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 it really is one of the because because you know the 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 gambler's mindset, it's like okay I'm I'm in the hole but I just need one good hand and then I'm back in the I'm back I'm back at it I'm I'm better than ever, and so when you lose and lose and lose and lose you need to just have that one big win, and so you got to keep convincing the 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 pit boss that you're good good for it and that's what Cody Easterday have to do had to do to the point where he started submitting fraudulent financials to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange just so that he could continue to trade on these futures contracts so in 2014 Cody Easterday he he landed a new big contract with two to a couple of companies, uh, one of which was Tyson Foods, um, which they had done business with, right, Greg? But yeah, they but but this was different in the sense that Tyson would give him an advance on the cost of buying and raising the cattle. Okay, and this is 2014, so he's into he's in about year four of his of his nearly decade-long streak of being real shitty at futures trading. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And so he needs this, right? Because he needs the liquidity in order to keep doing the futures trading, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. And well, so how do, how does how do explain how these advances work? Sure. Um once the cattle were raised, uh slaughtered and sold at market price, Easterday ranches would then repay the costs that Tyson had advanced to them. Okay. Right? Plus they would pay them some interest and certain other costs. And if by the time when they paid all that stuff back, they just kept the difference right. from what they were advanced in the first place. Does gotcha. that make sense? So, yeah. So it, it so it, the, when you, when you say it, when, when we talk about advances, the first thing that comes to my mind is like a book advance. And I, and I oh. see this being a similarity to that where, I mean, it's not a publisher, but if you you have a book advance, the publisher says, "Hey, here's I'm going to give you this much money to write this book, but I'm not giving you the money. We're going to take it out of your royalties later." So it's kind of the same thing where Tyson. This is Myers. Tell me if you think this is a good if that's a good analogy because Tyson is kind of saying, "Hey, here's a bunch of money to go buy the cattle." and raise the cattle and take care of your mm-hmm. expenses. Mm-hmm. We're going to buy that cattle from you later for market price. Yep. And so you're going to have to pay all that back to us when we when we buy it from you. Yep. But but here's the money up front so you can just so you can get the so you can get the shit rolling cuz we know it's it's a cash demanding proposition to It buy is. And it is cattle. like to so to to 
to raise the cattle is very, very expensive, right? Yeah. And so Easter Day may not have, like if they say, hey, we've got X number of calves that are, or uh, it's a finishing operation. So they, they're not calves probably. They're, right. they're, they're, they're the, the Teenagers. cows. They're like teen, older. They're like yeah. teen cows. Yeah. They're, they're entering, they're entering their formative years. Yeah. But anyway, and, and, and then they get murdered. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, so, so Tyson fronts them the money so that they can like finish that job. And yeah. so, and then they, they sell the cows. Tyson gets their money back and Easter egg keeps the difference. If there is a difference, if there's an yeah. upside. Yeah. 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 So, it, so it's almost like, I mean, I see it as, as almost like a, a kind of a financing operation mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah. it's not, it's, it's because I mean, especially because like, like we see they, Tyson required them to pay interest on the advance. So it, it, when I look at that, I go, oh yeah, they're basic. it's a loan. Yep. They just gave them a loan right. to say, okay, here's this money. Go buy the, go buy the, the, the cattle and do your job and then we'll buy them yep. from you later. And, and yeah, and it's just financing. Yep. Right. Right. Cool. So from 2016 to 2020, Easter day submitted ready. Yep. False invoices. Okay. To buy and raise over 265,000 head of cattle that were never purchased and didn't actually exist. So, and, and so this dude, and, so, oh, so, okay. Okay. Sure. I'll answer questions now. Uh, yeah. It, it yeah. seems, yeah, I, I get it. He's like, so he's like, I need this money because the yep. Chicago Mercantile Exchange is going to break is, my kneecaps. Is ringing me up. Yes. Right. Exactly. So, so hey, so hey, Tyson, crazy thing. I just bought two hundred sixty-five thousand cows, so I need that advance right now because because I got to pay for these these cows. And then it's like, but he didn't do it. And it's like, hey, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, here's your money. Am I good? And they're like, yeah, you're good. You can live. You can live to buy another futures contract. I mean, that is a very vivid interpretation. That's that's it, it's it a very good it, good fellows kind of interpretation. Very much of so. It. Very much. Yeah. So. It didn't quite work that way because it happened over the course of four years. But yes, but, okay. effectively, <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yes. What right. you're describing is accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Because he yeah. needed the money, right? So if he's yeah. getting margin calls, if he's getting margin calls from the CME, yeah. That like he has to have the money, right? Right. He's like, uh, dude, you're losing lots of money. You're upside down on this thing. Yeah. So and, uh, we need some more money. And he's like, uh, great. Uh Call you back, <laughs> you know, right. and he, right. and then he's like, hi, Tyson Foods. Uh, yeah, we need to buy 15,000 head pronto. And they're right. like, great. Here's, here, here are the terms. This is what you're going to give us back later. He's like, uh, yeah, sure. No problem. And just give me the money. And this is what you're going to do with the money because that, that's yes. an interesting thing that, that I was not aware of until I got into the position that I currently hold at work because we, we get, uh, I have what between between uh, both of my campuses because I, I I help manage a group of medical office buildings and between both of my campuses we have a round, we have between twenty and thirty million dollars worth of loans between those two buildings mm-hmm. and 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 it's not like you can just go to the bank and say hey we need you know we've got these we've got these buildings will you give us a loan against those buildings and they just go yeah here's your money cool they're like no here's you can only use this money for certain things and it's mm. it's spelled out how you can use the money um and and I'm, and with this it was very clear that the the way you're supposed to use the money is to buy the fucking cattle to buy and the to cows, raise yeah. the cattle because we need because in this case it, they very much needed the cattle because right because then the, Tyson's gonna buy them yeah they're gonna buy yeah. them and they and they've mm-hmm. got demands for selling that cattle so so Cody Easterday was basically using Tyson Foods as a as a cash machine as an ATM machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, to to pull money out and and obviously it was very it, I mean, it had to have been very clearly ex, very explicit what he was to use the money for and clearly he was not doing that and I I wanted this uh, this whole buildup with Cody Easterday and Tyson Foods and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange is mm-hmm. so interesting to me that I feel like it's incredibly anticlimactic how this house of cards crumbled because what happened is Tyson Foods, they were like, hey, Cody Easterday, we're ready for all that cattle. And Cody Easterday was like, 
yeah, so about <laughs> about that. Uh, and, the, and, and like, that was it. They, like, a, a, a guy, a representative from Tyson Foods came to inspect Easterday's herd, uh, and they were like, so, hey, we're, we need all those cows, my man. And, uh, and, and he was like, yeah, so I don't have those cows, my man. And so then he was like, oh, well, that's a problem. And so the next time it was three corporate goons who showed up to be like, yeah, so you have our cows, right? And he's like, yeah, no, I don't have, I, 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 I don't have them. And, and this is what, this is what he said. It's, it's very interesting. <laughs> He, he's they were like what's up with our cows and he says where oh the, man where are the cows I, and he's like Cody oh, I, man I, I totally fucking screwed up man I'm just a screw up I pissed away all that money on the Merc and that was that was it and uh, so he 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 had the balls uh, at this point even to to he didn't want to label it that he had stolen the money though still he absolutely stole the money it's not fraud it's not yeah, fraud it's not fraud he said he said what it is is i was just there was it's forward billing and and that's what he decided to call it and it's like what the fuck is forward billing what does that even mean it's like oh i'm billing you for yeah for cows that i want to buy later after i hit it big on the merc and it's like yeah that's how that's not how business works cody This episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by Patriot. Patriot software creates accounting and payroll software that radically simplifies the day-to-day complexities that American businesses and their accountants face. Patriot is seamlessly integrated under one login, easy to use and affordable. And they rank number one for ease of use, customer support, features, and value for the money by users. Patriot's accounting software is a cloud-based, full-featured accounting general ledger that gives your clients the simplicity they need, but the power you require. Patriot has patented dual-ledger accounting, so you can quickly switch between cash basis, modified cash basis, or accrual accounting, and a chart of accounts that can have unlimited sub-accounts and nest up to eight accounts deep. Patriot's payroll software lets you run payroll in three easy steps, offers free two-day direct deposit, and their full-service payroll offers a tax filing guarantee. Accounting professionals can partner with Patriot and receive discounted pricing that increases as you add more clients. Support located in the USA, free co-branding, and free accounting and payroll for your firm. Join thousands of accounting professionals who trust Patriot with their clients' accounting and payroll and get a 30-day free trial. Head on over to ohmyfraud.promo slash Patriot. That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash P-A-T-R-I-O-T. Shortly after Easter Day's fraud was uncovered... Easter Day Ranches and Easter Day Farms filed for bankruptcy. What? Didn't take long. <laughs> yeah. <I mean. laughs> you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Easter Day's assets were liquidated, including large amounts of real property, heavy farm equipment, and that uh, that private aircraft. Yeah. Uh, through the bankruptcy proceedings, the victim companies were able to recover approximately $65 million. Uh, the new owner of Easter Day Ranches is Farmland Reserve, which is a for-profit company wholly owned by the Mormon Church. That's my guys. That's out here. That's where I live. We don't, we, that's the, that's where the smell Diet Coke and Crumble Cookies comes from. (laughs) Easter Day entered a guilty plea for wire fraud in March 2021. And in October 22. He was sentenced to 11 years in prison in order to pay $244 million in restitution. Which I'm sure he'll be able to make by gambling on futures contracts. Trading futures. Do it, Cody. You're, you're a pro. You, he had to have learned something from all those years of, of losing. So, Greg, what did we learn? Did we learn anything? We, we did. I mean, there's a, there, I, I, I love this case because... Oh. That's that I, I have you said that before? 
I I I think I do. Well, we don't talk about cases that we hate. Uh, True, but but this one this one I think really outlined a lot of stuff. And, and just I mean for top top line for why I love this case is it's it's a very rare case where we see both financial statement fraud and uh, and and embezzle, embezzlement. It's not really embezzlement because he's not he's not stealing it from his own company, but. But basically, you know, asset misappropriation would maybe be a better way of of saying what he was doing. Um, I mean, so but th- not really, though, right? Because so let's just let's just puzzle this out, shall we? Okay. okay. Because you're talking about so like he's losing money in futures trading. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. So it's it's and and you need leverage, i.e., you need you need you need the ability to borrow, right? He has to borrow the money to trade futures. Okay. Right? Yes. Yeah. Right. So, in a way, he's not—he's not technically misappropriating Easter Day assets when he's doing that because they can trade futures, right? Right. But and then he is, but he is. Uh, what, what what's the technical term? He is making false representations to yes. Tyson in yes. order to get money. With an intent right. to defraud, yeah, because he knew With, that he yeah. wasn't going to be buying those those cows, right? So maybe maybe someone that's smarter than us would would quibble with me in terms of like what actually is going on. I mean, he's definitely he's definitely lying to Tyson, right? Yeah, yeah. He's losing all this money to the Merc, and Mer- the Merc doesn't care. They're just like, dude, you're you're losing, so we need the money, right? We don't care. Where, I mean, you just got to yes, pay the money, and they the Merc probably doesn't want to take stolen money. Right, the Merc doesn't want to take stolen money. <laughs> no, nobody wants to take stolen money because that could get clawed back. Which, right, yeah, right. And so, but in Easter Day's case, the only way he knew how to make this uh, real bad boo boo that he has with the with the CME, it, the easiest way to get the liquidity was to get from Tyson, which is yeah. like a huge company, right? Right, that has lots and lots of money. Right, right. So. There, there's clearly an intent to defraud there, but he's not misappro- It's not like he's misappropriating Easter Day assets, but he is using Easter Day's own business like leverage because they make yeah. if they have annual revenues of 250 million, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of money, right? Yeah, for they sure. Can use, he can use that to be like, uh, yeah, that's why I'm trading futures because we make 250 million a year, right? So like, I don't know. I'm I'm quibbling with you on on the misappropriation <laughs> bit, which maybe is like just mental masturbation but i don't know okay well and, and it might it might just be because i'm i'm i don't have i mean he, he i want to say something more specific than he defrauded tyson out of my he misappropriated tyson's assets yes and that's that was the misappropriation and i do think it's interesting because the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, they could have gotten screwed big time because if he's going, oh, I've got all these sales and I got all this inventory and I can totally cover this stuff. If the if the contract from Tyson didn't come along, then oh. the Chicago Mercantile Exchange would have been the one holding the bag. Well, they just would have they just would have closed him out, right? Like they wouldn't have, they just would have they would just refu- they wouldn't have let him trade anymore. That's right. all. But it wouldn't but have you- got to the two hundred. It wouldn't have got to the two hundred million point. Because if he started, if he's, st- I, I don't remember the timing of when he started doing the false invoices to, to, uh, to Tyson. Okay. Yeah. Good. Point. But I guess that, that wasn't delineated when those, when those began. That's, but, that's a good point. But what, so what you're, you're Merc, saying that, yeah, you're saying that he could, that the Merck probably wouldn't, wouldn't have sustained the losses anyways. Cause he no, probably. Like if you, if you get a margin call and you don't have the money, they're just yeah. gonna be like, okay, well you owe us the money and you can't trade anymore. Right, but then if they, but if, but that's what I'm saying. If Easter Day was all always like, oh, and I never am gonna have the money, then the Chicago Mercantile Exchange would have well, gotten screwed, then, and they would have been left holding the bag. Well, and they probably would have went after. They probably were like, look, you owe us this money, so mm. right, right. But that's the same thing that Tyson Foods is going after, and yes. and and we did get in. We, we saw a little bit of it. We I, I didn't really, uh, you know, luxuriate in the numbers, but I know that. They sold the farm for far less than the two hundred and forty-four million of restitution that was owed to, oh, yeah. to Tyson. And so Tyson was so same thing could have happened with the Chicago Mercantile Exchange if they were like, "Hey, we got the margin 
is called and he goes, I don't have the money to pay it. And they go, okay, we need to sell all your assets. And he goes, yeah, it's not worth as much as I owe you. And then they're like, oh shit. Okay. Because you gave us false financial statements. So yeah, we, so I, I still, I, I will always say on this case, Caleb, whenever we talk about it, that the Chicago Mercantile Exchange just got lucky that mm. they didn't get screwed for more than what they did. And, and, I've I've seen this, you know, and I know we th- there's some there's some fraud that I saw firsthand at a company that I that I've worked for, um, where it's the same thing, where the, the unfortunately a bank ended up loaning the the fraudster a bunch of money, and the fraudster used that money to pay back the money that he misappropriated from his company uh, that I happened to be working for, but then the bank ended up just losing all the money on the loan that they gave. So the bank ended up losing money. So the company that got all the money stolen from them. And that was just a friggin' lucky bounce for the company that I worked for that it, it, that they lost as little money as they did. Um, So let me ask you something. Yes. Talk to me a bit about why, like, why did, why did this even happen in the first place? Why did this fraud happen? Yes. It, okay the the reason why this fraud happened and again th- this is because we haven't because we haven't touched on it yet about why it happened yes because well a lot of it is because you've got these it's it's the factory farm the big agribusiness thing that we mm-hmm. talked about before where you've got this these agricultures being consolidated into these huge mammoth companies that very few of them that run the whole deal and they're able to leverage the power that they have to really squeeze the profits out of the out of the little guys and it is compared to Tyson Easterday even Easter though he's a, a little guy he's a little guy 100% he's a, he's a humongous little guy is right what he is. right yes. so um Easterday's finishing operations they 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 basically they had about one half of 1% of all the beef that was going through that, that sold in the U S they, they saw about one half of 1%. That was their contribution to the steaks that we all eat. And that, and, and because of that, it put Easter days in a kind of a shitty position because being a really, really big, but still a very, very little player in in the in this in this game that again like we said is all about these commodities because he doesn't get to call hardly any of the shots right his, his whole business i mean we talk about gambling on this stuff his whole business is kind of a gamble because he goes i got to put in a bunch of money into make it to, to finishing these steers and heifers for slaughter and i could just get screwed if the price of beef goes in the toilet Mm-hmm. And uh, which uh, that's a gamble, but but profit comes from risk. That's what business is. And so the the whole idea of profits is you're going to have more good years than you do have bad years. But with agriculture being squeezed by these big companies that they get in these contracts with, and and even these companies that are so big they can actually buy and of themselves affect the price of the beef that they're going to buy back from you at mark you know what i'm saying they can sway yeah. what market price is and they promise to pay you market price so they're holding all the cards and and that puts him at a huge disadvantage to where he is gonna ha- just to run his business he's gonna have to hustle like we said he did which then led him to these futures contracts that led him to to not just using them legitimately but using them speculatively and mm-hmm. then he he sort of gets himself it, it basically w- what happened is he got to the point you know in the movies where the where the manager of the company has all the money for payroll and he goes but i'm gonna drive to las vegas and i'm gonna put it all on red and he does and then he loses all the payroll for the company that's kind of what happened you know because they were behind on their numbers and that was the only way that the business was going to win that's sort of what happened with cody easterday is he just kept he get kept getting chiseled away and chiseled away he started making worse and worse bets because he had to make those bets to make ends meet and and he was also feeling like like you had mentioned 
he was such a big he was a big fish in his little pond of eastern washington yep that there was so there was a lot of people that depended on him like his downstream suppliers and vendors they need so he was probably feeling the pressure not just to make sure that he and his family and this empire that his grandfather had grown continues but also he felt the pressure of going there's a lot of people that depend on me to be profitable so that they can feed their families and put shoes on their kids feet as well so that's i think that's that's where the problem started and if we're looking at the fraud triangle it's the pressure side of stuff is he's just under intense pressure because he's in an industry that more and more becomes a a losing game for the people who are in it That's it for this episode. And remember, ghost cows don't say boo. If anything, they say moo. And also remember, if you grew up in rural America, you might need birth control that is an abstinence. If you want to drop us a line, send us an email uh, to ohmyfraud at earmarkcpe.com. And Caleb, if people want to reach out to you directly to find other non-abstinence forms of birth control how can they get a hold of you i'm still on twitter at c newquist and on linkedin backslash caleb newquist greg are you still on twitter i still am at greg kite i'm on linkedin greg kite cpa i'm on uh instagram at exposure drafts that's my cartoon series that's uh that's fun if you like cartoons who doesn't who everyone likes cartoons Oh, My Fraud is written by Greg Kite and myself. Our producer is Zach Frank. If you like the show, leave us a review or share it with a friend. Rating the show helps people find it. So, five stars. Five stars. Five stars. And write something nice. It's Greg, so easy. Greg Greg needs it. Leave, okay. leave a fraud leave a review, even if you didn't like the podcast. Also be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And for the accountants out there, if you listen on Earmark, you get free CPE. Nothing speculative about that. It's so easy. Join us next time for more avarice swindlers and scams from stories that will make you say, Oh my my fraud. fraud. Nice. You were fast that way. I like that. (laughs) 